ranked number 26. You know, the most votes in the AP polls in that loss to Wyoming kind of dropped them completely out. And they've been trying to work their way to get back in. Now that they're finally in, I mean, a lot of people are expecting big things from the Tiger teams in the next few weeks. Well, and also, too, they were ranked at the end of last year, so it's not like one of those programs that, you know, hasn't been ranked in X amount of years to the point where it's, it's such a big deal that they're ranked, too. I don't think right. that's really the feeling either. Right, I, cer- I certainly agree with both of those points you had to say there. The only the only reason I bring that up in my eyes, it's really big for Odom, especially just a couple years after getting a contract extension to get his team into the top 25 because he does have specific contract incentives for every single week that his team is ranked in the top 25. So still something of note with Missouri finally cracking the AP poll here in week number eight. Speaking of which, action kicking off tonight, a lot of big games. Last night you might have seen UCLA upset Stanford late on the farm. Been an interesting year in the Pac-12, but tonight there's a game in the Big Ten that's somewhat interesting because if you've followed Ohio State football in the past couple years, they've really struggled in games that they should easily have against Big Ten West teams. Uh, they've got another contest in that tonight against 1-4 Northwestern. The Buckeyes come in at number 4 in the most recent AP poll, so finally cra- cracking that college football playoff threshold at 6-0. and Northwestern has really struggled this season they played three quarterbacks do either one of y'all see this game as the potential for the ohio state let got let down game uh, i don't really think so just because i northwestern is such a difficult time scoring offensively that even if ohio state gives up you know 14 or 17 points is i they're going to put up at least 30 35 I, I don't know how northwestern closed down justin fields in that offense and I just I don't, I don't see this being really a competitive game at all. Northwestern hasn't shown us anything this year to believe that, that they might be competitive in this game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Ohio State wins this one pretty easily. Ohio State, I think, has arguably one of the best defenses in the country, just simply because they've switched their scheme. Last year they were playing a lot of man-to-man, just trying to use their athletes and face man, Nick Bosa and Chase Young. Now they're playing a lot of this cover three, cover two zone where they're, every single player on the team has their eyes on the ball. They're causing a lot more turnovers. Chase Young is virtually unstoppable inside. It'll probably be a top five pick in the draft. You know, it could be arguably number one, depending on who's picking there. You know, I, I just think Ohio State arguably has right now one of the most complete teams in the country. Not the best, but the most complete. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you both on the separate points that you had there. Ohio State has certainly proven the most of every team in the top four college football playoff discussion, aside from maybe LSU. The Buckeyes absolutely thrashed a ranked team in the number 21 ranked Cincinnati Bearcats. And then, man, I completely agree with you. You know, they lost that game to Iowa in 2017. That was a team that was not nearly as talented as the squad that Urban Meyer had at that point. But like Ben said, Northwestern has done nothing to prove that they can conjure up any legitimacy to that upset trend. Speaking of which, 2016 was one of the most fantastic meetings between these two teams of all time. Number three, Clemson and Louisville. That matchup pitted the number three Cardinals against the number five Clemson Tigers who went on to win the national championship. Lamar Jackson went on to win the Heisman. What a great game that was. But tomorrow's game, an 11 a.m. kickoff. Do you see this game as, you know, Clemson finally thrashed Florida State last week? That was a game where they kind of turned the corner. Do you think that they've finally taken off under Trevor Lawrence here in 2019? I think think maybe. And I think they're going to have no problem scoring against Louisville tomorrow. I think Louisville can put up some points. We've seen that this year. But they struggle on defense. So, I would expect, you know, a, a game where Clemson, you know, maybe went to, you know, 50 to 21 or something like that, or 28. I, I think Louisville will put up some points, but I, I think Clemson is back on track after that North Carolina game. I think that was more of an outlier than anything, really. And I think Clemson's still trying to figure out their footing. I, I think that they still really don't know what kind of team they are. You think about last year, Gary, you talked about it multiple times, that front four was just so dominant at times that it really didn't have to be that good. Now they don't have that. They're still trying to figure out on defense. You know, they still have a lot of weapons on the offensive side, but the defense is starting to figure it out and come together. I agree with Ben. I think this is really just a bounce back game for Clemson. I think they'll slowly start to figure themselves out. I certainly agree with you there. When we mentioned they turned the corner last week against Florida State, Trevor Lawrence got a little bit of his swagger back. He was a Heisman hopeful coming into the season. Stepped a little bit out of that picture, but certainly back in that conversation after last week's win. Elsewhere, in case you haven't taken a look at the scoreboard tomorrow, West Virginia battles number five, Oklahoma. Wisconsin, number six, takes on Illinois. The Badger defense giving up just four and a half points per game. South Carolina hosts another top 10 team off the heels of a big upset last week over Georgia in Athens. Auburn takes its talent on the road to face Arkansas and Fayetteville. Purdue 
traveling to play number 23 Iowa, number two LSU, the Tigers all the way up in the polls. They travel to Mississippi State. But the game I want to talk with you all about, number 12 Oregon at number 25 Washington. These two teams have had very interesting years. Washington was a team that jumped out into the discussion of possibly a competitor in the Pac-12 after how they performed in week one. That's tapered off a little bit, but Oregon bouncing back from a week one loss certainly looks like it's in that conversation. How do you guys see this game, and do you think that this determines who's going to represent the Pac-12 North in the conference championship game come December? I think it definitely could. And, you know, it's really been an up and down year from Washington. If they are at home, it is supposed to rain, which could impact that game. I think Oregon is a team that's really been flying under the radar. You mentioned, you know, they really had Auburn in that first game for most of the game until that last couple of drives and when Bo Nix led them to the victory for Auburn. And, and I think Oregon's a team right now, if they can run the table, you know, they probably need a couple things to go in their favor, but they still could end up in a playoff spot at the end of the year with one loss. Yeah, I agree with everything Ben said there. You think about it, if Bo Nix doesn't complete that pass and, you know, Oregon goes on to win that game, they're probably sitting – five or six in the country right now. I mean, I think they're a very good football team. They mentioned Washington has been up and down all year. Jacob Eason really hasn't been what they thought they were going to get from him, but still solid. Um, you know, I still going to take Washington in this game, but I think it could be a very, very tight game, very down the wire. That one seems to relatively be up in the air. It's played in Seattle at Husky Stadium. You can see it at 2.30 tomorrow afternoon on ABC. Elsewhere, undefeated SMU, number 19 in the country, battles Temple. That's a really good game. Keep an eye on that one under the American Conference. Minnesota cracked the top 25 there at number 20, playing Rutgers. Tulsa travels to number 21, Cincinnati. Ewell Monroe playing undefeated Appalachian State. Good to see the Mountaineers finally cracking the top 25. Baylor and Oklahoma State, this one's a popular upset pick. Obviously, we mentioned Missouri versus Vanderbilt. We'll get to that one on the opposite side of a break. Georgia trying to bounce back at home against Kentucky. But another one out of the Pac-12 I wanted to discuss with you guys, Arizona State and Utah, whereas Oregon and Washington was possibly going to discuss whether that had any impact on the big uh, the Pac-12 championship game, I should say, in the North Division. This game looks like it could have huge implications on the South Division. Number 13, Utah, a loss on the season. Same with Arizona State. They both dropped games that maybe they, you could argue they shouldn't have. Where do you guys handicap this game, and who do you see coming out on top? Well, I think Utah at home has an advantage. I think that you know both those teams you mentioned have losses that you know they want back, and I, that, that's always tough to overcome. But you know, there's still a lot to play for. Remember, you know, the, the Pac-12 champions got going to go to the Rose Bowl, so I, you know, I think both these teams you know could potentially. It's a big game for both these teams, and. Really, I think Arizona State the last couple of years has exceeded expectations under Herm Edwards, and they're right. That, you know, the Pac-12 top may be not as as good as it has been in years past, but you know, Arizona State's right in that mix. Yeah, and you know, I, I think Ben brought a lot of good points there. I think Arizona State the last couple of years has been overachieving. You know, you, you look at Jaden Daniels, their true freshman quarterback. He's really been a stud for him this year, but he hasn't really played that that caliber defense that's gonna. You know, really rattle a true freshman. I think Utah's a defense. They've won the best defense in the country. They can run the ball with Zach Moss. Tyler Huntley's been just fine. I think Utah will probably win this game, but I think it definitely could be like one of those Washington Oregon games where it comes down to the last drive or two. I certainly agree with you both. It's a shame that this game is not going to be on national TV. 5 o'clock Central on the Pac-12 network. Kind of feel robbed that we won't be able to see that one, honestly. Elsewhere, Kansas at number 15, Texas. Les Miles travels to Austin for the first time as the head man for the Jayhawks. Jayhawks also hired a new offensive coordinator for this week, so keep an eye on that. Tennessee at number one, Alabama, third Saturday in October matchup. Tennessee's really struggling, even though they're coming off a win over Mississippi State. Not much figures to play into that one. But, guys, possibly the game of the week. Number 16, Michigan, travels to number 7, Penn State, for a night contest. Whiteout's going to be there. The game day's going to be there. I think this is the game of the week. Do you guys either see this as, A, the game where Michigan can finally turn the corner and reestablish itself in the national conversation, or, B, are you convinced by what Penn State's done this season and do you think this is a, really their coming out party in the college football playoff scene? Well, I think this adds this a chance for Penn State to add to its resume. I don't know that we've seen anything from Michigan to suggest that they have enough offensive firepower to, to, to compete against Penn State, especially on the road. I, I think this is a game that Jim Harbaugh probably needs to win, but you know he hasn't been able to win these type of games for the most part in his career at Michigan. And I, I think Penn State, you know, they... 
not necessarily played the toughest schedule so far, but I think it's shown signs of really being a quality team. And you, you never know how these things turn out. You know, if they win every single game except for Ohio State, and you know they're sitting there with one loss at the end of the year, you know that may not mean playoffs. But if Ohio State is the playoff, that can mean Penn State back in the Rose Bowl. I think you know, there's a lot of possibilities for Penn State going forward, and I, I, I like them to win this weekend. Yeah, I, I really don't see Michigan putting out much of a fight, honestly. Their, their defense has not been one it has in the past. I know they held Iowa to three points like a, a week or two weeks ago. But I just don't think that they have anything on defense that really says, hey, we can slow down what Penn State has offered. I really like the game Sean Clipper's been playing. And K.J. Hamler is just an absolute game-breaker. He, anytime he touches the ball, it's kind of like Tyreek Hill. He has a chance to take it to the house almost any play. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. I've got Penn State big. Last game I wanted to talk about, the last game we haven't touched on in the top 25, number 14, Boise State at BYU. Not necessarily because this game is interesting in and of itself, even though Boise State's 6-0. and BYU's had one of the most interesting schedules in college football history to this point. It seems like they've been involved in big games every single week. But because of comments from Boise State AD Kurt Absey yesterday, the athletic director over there in the state of Idaho, he said that he wasn't really sure sure that Boise State factored into the playoff at all. He said even if Boise State's 12-0 and and Alabama comes in at 10-2, and he didn't see a scenario in which because of the light out-of-conference schedule that Boise State had played, that they would even get consideration over Alabama. Just broad brush strokes talking the general college football playoff selection scenario. Do you both agree with him, and what do you make of those comments? Yeah, I agree. I don't think the, the committee has shown anything to show that the group of five will be considered for a playoff spot. I don't. I, we haven't seen that throughout the history, the, the brief history of the playoff. And uh, I, I, I don't think that Boise State, even with that win over Florida State earlier this year, you know, has not been great. I, I don't think Boise State gets in even undefeated. They would probably get the group of five, uh, group, you know, New Year's Six Bowl spot, so whether that's the Cotton Bowl or whatever bowl that is this year. I think they would get it, but I don't think they'd be in the playoffs, no. Well, and I, I think it's hard, you know, with Boise State. It's hard to justify, say they go, as you mentioned, Garrett, undefeated, and they're one, you know, their one big win is Florida State, and then you've got a team, this is just for example, you have a team like Oklahoma whose one loss is Texas in the Big 12 championship, and say that was your number four team to put in. It's hard to justify those two teams, simply because just the strength of schedule. I, I think that's really what these group of five schools are you know having to deal with and a lot of it's not really their fault you know Boise State UCF said we want to play Alabama we want to play LSU and these other schools they really don't want to play them because it doesn't really do anything for them to go out and beat them they'd much rather play you know a team like Alabama State or South Alabama or something like that where they can get an easy win you know it doesn't really have much factor into their season well and I think also too those those schools want home and home as well which which is tough for the other schools to agree to. You know, if they just said, we're willing to go play at Alabama, that might be different, and Alabama might agree to that or play in Atlanta or something like that. But, you know, I, I just think it's tough for those schools. You know, if you look at a one- or two-loss SEC team or a Big Ten team, I, I think those teams are going to get in over an undefeated group of five teams. And it makes sense when the topic of conference expansion comes up, you can see why those schools are interested in moving to a Power 5 conference because that's really the only route they have to something like the college football playoffs. Yeah, I think y'all both brought up really solid points there. An interesting debate nonetheless. One that's not going to go away anytime soon. It's been around, as been mentioned, all throughout the brief history of the college football playoffs. So I was very interested in hearing on what y'all had to say on that one. We're not done talking college football. We're going to talk about number 22, Missouri and Vanderbilt, the game that Ben and Chase are on route to Nashville to broadcast. You can hear it tomorrow, starting with our pregame coverage at 2.30. It's all presented by El Rancho. They will be on the call for that one. I'll be on the board. So call it the all-preferred walk-ons football broadcast. We'll take a quick break and talk more about that game on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Hi, National Honors Fraternity presents a night of music, entertainment, and philanthropy. The funds raised from this concert will benefit the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Missouri. Featured acts include world record holder Mizzou Haggy Sackman, Post Sex Nachos, and Mizzou Forte. You can check out our Facebook page for more information.
KCOU is brought to you by MaxFix. Broken phone? You're in luck. Conveniently located in the MU Student Center behind the U.S. Bank, MaxFix provides a variety of technical services, including crack screen repair, battery replacement, and computer repair. To learn more about MaxFix, visit www.maxfixmazoo.com. For questions and quotes, call 573-219-7551. Let MaxFix take care of all your repair needs. Again, that number is 573-219-7551. KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. KCOU is brought to you by MaxFix. Broken phone? You're in luck. Conveniently located in the MU Student Center behind the U.S. Bank, MaxFix provides a variety of technical services, including crack screen repair, battery replacement, and computer repair. To learn more about MaxFix, visit www.maxfixmazoo.com. For questions and quotes, call 573-219-7551. Let MaxFix take care of all your repair needs. Again, that number is 573-219-7551. Forget every Saturday this fall is KCOU Sports Saturday. Listen to your favorite KCOU Sports shows every Saturday, all day long. Catch No Huddle, Mizzou football, basketball, and more every single Saturday. It's not just Saturday, it's KCOU Sports Saturday. Garrett Jones here in studio with you on campus at the University of Missouri. Ben Krakow and Chase Phillips, the normal show hosts of said talk show are on the road to Nashville, Tennessee, where they will be broadcasting Missouri and Vanderbilt, that game, a part of KCU Sports Saturday. Also, tune in for a special edition of College Football Today on KCOU. We're starting that at 1 o'clock tomorrow. We'll be updating you on all the current happenings of the 11 o'clock games. As they finish up, we'll be previewing the 2 o'clock games and finishing up with the previews of the night games. Of course, talking extensively about that matchup between the Tigers and the Commodores, which Ben and Chase will be there to broadcast live starting at 3 o'clock with kickoff from Vanderbilt Stadium. And guys, off that note, interesting matchup coming in. You know, you look at the picture of the records, and these two teams are headed in opposite directions. Missouri's won five straight. Vanderbilt has just one win on the season. They were clobbered at home 34-10 to against UNLV last year. Or last week, I should say. Do you see that game this way? Do you see this game that way? And what are your initial thoughts of the contest coming in? Yeah, I think it's a little tough to say based off you just don't know what you're going to see out of Vanderbilt. Last week was, it was really bad. It was, and there's no other way to put it. I mean, UNLV had one win on the year, and they were the much, much better team last week. And it feels like if you're Vanderbilt, you've got this game, then a bye, and then, and then two road games with South Carolina and, and Florida, that you know, if you don't win this game, you know, at least put up a, a good fight on homecoming, you know, it could really get ugly. You know, you're you're looking at you know one and eight essentially. You know, before you get back home, and and I don't know. I, I look, they they've had a really bad year. There's no other way to put it. The bottom of the conference in almost every offensive statistic, every defensive statistic. You know, I mean, I I don't know what they have to do. I, I if someone even asked Derek Mason, their coach this week, should we, you just give the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn 40 times a game? And he said maybe we should because. They can't seem to do anything else besides him, using him on offense to any sort of effective measure. And then on the Missouri side, you know, I think they have to keep trying to do what they're going to do. They obviously have this, this two big games coming in Georgia and Florida, but you know, those games don't matter if you don't beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky. So they have to just, you know, go on the road, take care of business, don't turn the ball over. And you know, I think you know, if there's one thing you have to do against Vanderbilt is try to slow down that run game and slow down Vaughn. Yeah, and. The thing that worries me about this game, if you're a Missouri fan, is the fact that there's still that Wyoming game looming, and there was still a lot of big plays in the run game 
and the win. Yes, they have been much better since that game, but it still worries you a little bit. Keyshawn Mon is one of those playmakers. He can break a game wide open. He can easily have 20 carries or 250 yards and three or four touchdowns, just like that, just in a blink of an eye. So I think if you're Missouri, you really have to really have to commit to stack in the box. You know, Riley Neal and Deuce Wallace are the two quarterbacks. They've both been splitting time, and either one has looked very good. They do have two good weapons in Jared Deegan and Kalijah Lipscomb, both on the outside that can help. But overall, you know, as Ben mentioned, they, they're one of the worst teams the FBS in offensive and defensive rating. You know, they just don't have a lot to work with. And then, like Ben said, if you're Missouri, you have to continue what you've been doing. Play consistent football. You can get to the ball over to Kelly Bryant. You've got to make smart decisions with the ball. There's no reason this game really should be close unless they make it close. Unless Missouri lets Vanderbilt stay the game. Yeah, Vanderbilt's essentially got nothing to play for. When you've got nothing to play for, you can either, you know, not show up like they did last week and, you know, get crushed, or you can play, you know, loose and free and, and you know, have some fun out there and make things interesting when essentially, you know, they've got nothing to play for. I think that's sound points for both of you. Certainly will be interesting to keep an eye on that one moving forward. Again, kickoff at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Missouri coming off a 38-27 win over Ole Miss. That game started off pretty slowly. There were some early concerns for Missouri, a muffed punt from Jonathan Johnson. But the Tigers really turned it on in the second quarter and kept things at bay in the second half. A nice SEC win for Coach Odom in the cross-conference battle. Those same cross-conference rivals of the yearly schedule for the Vanderbilt Commodores. What do you guys think that Missouri can build off of that they did particularly well or improve on that they did particularly poorly in that win against Ole Miss last week? Well, I thought they had a pretty good offensive day overall. You know, Ole Miss isn't the greatest defense, but they put up 38 points. They moved the ball. Um, and, and really in their first game without Kale Garrett, who leads that defense, it wasn't perfect. And certainly if John Reese Bumley caused some issues rushing the ball as the quarterback, but they did, they did pretty well. And I, I think, you know, there was a game where they, as you mentioned, weren't perfect and there were some mistakes, but they played a pretty good team and they played pretty well. And I think it was a game that Missouri can gain confidence from and essentially saying, look, we didn't play our best and we still won that game pretty easily. And when Ole Miss tried to make it interesting late, they were able to take care of business and put the game away. So I think that that's the biggest thing. You know, it wasn't the best game they played all year. You know, certainly there were things to clean up. You talked about two missed extra points, a couple of turnovers, but in the end, it was a win, and it wasn't one where you were wondering with five minutes to go if they're going to win the game. Yeah, and one thing I think Missouri is really starting to build on is they're probably getting that running game going. You know, it was something that everybody questioned, you know, week one and week two. They were having a hard time running football. And this was a team that had really built their last two seasons off the run. You know, he was talking about Drew Locke and how effective he was last season. It was the ability to run the football that was able to allow him to be effective. And now that Kelly Bryant is a little bit limited, maybe with that knee injury, don't really know the full extent of that. But, you know, last week he did see that there were times where, you know, he wasn't as more willing to run as he has been. But they're finally getting the running game going. So I think that's something to build off of. And Ben did it well. I thought Cam Wilkins played really, really well in his debut with, you know, Phil Gary going out with the injury. I thought Cam Wilkins looked really well. The big thing with him is he just doesn't need to have a name called. As long as he's in there and he's just doing his job, the rest of the defense will be fine. But I think if you're Missouri, one thing to be worried about is if you have to play a running quarterback. Because the two times they have, their defense has really, really struggled both times. And last year against Vanderbilt, Missouri ran the ball nearly 50 times. So that's certainly something to watch tomorrow as well. They may look to pound the run is again, once again this week. Missouri put up 233 yards on the ground last week against the Ole Miss Rebels and took off some of that pressure that comes as a result of life without Kale Garrett. Again, the Tigers' heart and soul, the defense in the middle linebacker position, out for the season with the torn pectoral muscle in case you missed that one. You know, Ben kind of alluded to this earlier, but under Barry Odom, there's been the tendency to have that letdown game. Last October, it was against South Carolina on the road. This team has routinely dropped games to inferior Kentucky teams seemingly in the past couple years. Do you think in a nightmare scenario, worst-case scenario possibility, that this game has the potential to be that? No, I wouldn't say this game is. I think next week at Kentucky, you certainly talk about a running quarterback. Essentially, they're playing Lynn Bowden, a wide receiver, at quarterback. Um, a, a team that could cause some issues. But I think, no, I don't think this week. I, I, I just I, We haven't seen anything out of Vanderbilt. Even the one win they had against Northern Illinois was, it was a close win. I, I, they haven't shown anything to seemingly show that they could potentially be even competitive in this game. 
No, I agree with that. I don't think this game will be close. Like I said, unless Missouri unless they just start having turnover after turnover. And no offense with the Vanderbilt defense, I don't really think they can force many turnovers. They only have, I believe, would be a member doing research, three or four sacks in the season. They're not getting a whole lot of pressure. They're not able to stop the run. It's really, there's just a lot going wrong in Vanderbilt right now. You heard it here first, Tiger fans. Nothing to worry about, according to the guys on the call. Tomorrow, again, kickoff at 3 o'clock Central Time here on KCOU. You know, going off of that, you guys have done a lot of preparation and research into this game coming in. Are there any injury updates on either side, or is Vanderbilt planning to rotate in a quarterback? What are the updates personnel-wise for both these squads that you guys have found? Well, yeah, I think Vanderbilt will use both their quarterbacks again. I, I think it'll maybe be a little bit what we saw last week with Ole Miss with, with Corral and Plumlee going back and forth. They really, as you mentioned, haven't found a solid option so far this year. Keyshawn Vaughn was a little banged up in that game last week, but came back and still had a good game. Uh, Kalijah Lipscomb, their best receiver, has been, been dealing with a heel injury. He was in and out of the lineup last week as well. Um, so really that's the focus on for Vanderbilt. And, and for Missouri, you know, Kelly Bryant seems fine last week, still wearing that brace after the knee injury versus Troy. Obviously no Kale Garrett, but other than that, they seem pretty healthy. Could get Rashad Floyd back as the punt returner this week. He had a 71-yard punt return for a touchdown two years ago at Vanderbilt. Um, so he would certainly be a welcome addition. And you mentioned Jonathan Johnson's struggle to the point where they had to put Cade Musser, a walk-on, back there just to catch the ball last week. But uh, other than that, I think Missouri seems pretty healthy. You know, There's been some rotation on the offensive line this year due to injury and you know, poor performance. But other than that, I would think most of what you saw last week from Missouri will be the same this week. Yeah, both, both teams are coming into this game pretty healthy. Um, you know, Ben mentioned most of the major injuries. Uh, I did read Jonathan Johnson was dealing with a little bit of a hip injury just from one of the catches he made last week. Um, he said that he's going to be a full good to go. Um, Kalisha Lipscomb, as Ben mentioned, been dealing with that field. He practiced twice this week, but they said it was more of a limited fashion, but they think he's going to be ready to rock. So both teams coming into this game pretty much the same teams that we've seen all year long, both pretty healthy. It will certainly be interesting to see how Missouri responds coming off the coattails of a homecoming win. A little bit banged up, as Ben and Chase mentioned. They are on the way to Nashville to broadcast that game tomorrow live on our KCOU airwaves. We will start our coverage at 2.30 p.m. here on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. But for now, we'll take a quick break and on the other side talk some MLB postseason baseball action. Don't go anywhere. This is the preferred walk-ons, and we will be right back. Come on and get your kicks. Now you don't need money with a face like that, do you? Are you ready for some high-octane talk? Do you live for the thrill of fast cars and close vendors? Then tune in to Burnin' Rubber every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Join Hal Estep and myself, Sterling Siemens, as we discuss the latest in NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and other racing series from around the world. Don't miss the Can't Miss Motorsports Talk Show of Mizzou Student Radio, Burnin' Rubber, Thursdays at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Tune in to Triple Threat on KCOU 88.1 FM. Catch Kyle Jones. And so then he said, all right, well, I can't wear my helmet. I'm not playing. Chance Sticklin. I think that Bama every single year is the best college football team. And Cole Toosie. If Trubisky can get it done, the Bears will win a Super Bowl. He's the key. Tune in every Thursday morning from 11 to noon, only on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCU.FM, or on the TuneIn app. You don't want to miss it. From college to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee, and me, Emma Hayes, as we discuss all things baseball on KCOU Sports' first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. Tune in to Hiding Tight every Friday at 9 a.m. as I, Wilson Strong, and Logan Crone. As we talk to listeners on and off the field of Major League Baseball every Friday at 9 a.m. and on Spotify.
From college to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee. And me, Emma Hayes. As we discuss all things baseball on KCOU Sports, first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. Welcome back. This is the Preferred Walk-Ons on KSU 88.1 FM. Thank you for ending your week with us. Weekend ahead, big college football action. Obviously the heart of the MLB postseason going on as well and some NFL action as well on your Sunday morning, evening, and afternoon. We'll get to it here to end the show. First, we'll talk some MLB postseason baseball here in this segment. But first, a quick word on a new sponsor of KCOU, a new supporter, Max Fix, a proud supporter of KCOU 88.1 FM. It's located behind the U.S. Bank in the MU Student Center and handles cracked screens and other electronic repairs. Thank you, Max Fix, for supporting KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. Happy to have them on board here on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. A lot that we've covered already. Week 8 in college football. Hard to believe we're already there. A lot of big games. Michigan, Penn State, another big one that we talked about, but we also discussed plenty of number 22, Missouri and Vanderbilt. Big contest. Ben and Chase will have the call. We will start our coverage at 2.30 here as part of KCU Sports Saturday. But guys, also going on, MLB postseason. It's been a lot of fun. Been a very intriguing storyline all around the Washington Nationals, in case you missed it clinched their first NLCS pennant over the St. Louis Cardinals and Chase the uh, resident Cardinal fan if you if you, <laughs> sorry for your loss but you've had some time to digest it at this point what are your general outtakes of the Cardinals in the 2019 season and really the 2019 NLCS it was not even close a clean four game sweep for the Nationals well I think if you're a Cardinals fan and you're, you're just watching the Cardinals team you're like they made the NLCS. That was a lot more than a lot of people thought of the All-Star break. You know, they really caught fire at the All-Star break. There was a lot of good takeaways to take from, from this year. You know, I think Jack Flaherty's inserted himself as probably a top three to top five pitcher in the National League, probably a top ten pitcher in baseball. So that was something that was really nice to see. And, you know, you talk about Paul Goldschmidt starting to get hot at the end of the year, and so did Marcel Azuna. There's a lot of question marks going into this Cardinals team, you know, for next season, you know. There's a lot of outfielders. Me and Ben were talking about this a little earlier in the drive. There's a lot of outfielders that they have. Not really good outfielders, but there's a lot of outfielders, so John Mosellac and company will have to deal with that. But overall, like you said, Gary, the Nationals were the better team. Any way you shape it, you know, the pitching was better, the hitting was better. You know, the Nationals, I think, are going to be a very, very tough outcome in the World Series, whether they play the Astros or the Yankees. Right, and you mentioned it. The Nationals were the better team in that series, but this is a run that a lot of people couldn't have seen coming. In case you missed it, they upset the Milwaukee Brewers in the National League wildcard game, eventually took out the top-seeded Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLDS, and now took out a what was really a toss-up coming into that series. They firmly dominated the NLCS. Howie Kendrick, the series MVP. What do you all see from this Nationals team? Do you think that they have the potential to upset either the Astros or the Yankees, depending on who comes out of the ALCS? I mean, normally I think you would say with their pitching, possibly, but you know, assuming it's the Astros now that they have the three-one lead, I think it's going to be tough. I think those lineups are, are, are just tough for the Nationals to face because you know the Nationals don't necessarily have a pitching advantage, right? As good as Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin and even Anibal Sanchez are, the Astros can throw Verlander and Cole and Zach Greinke, and it, 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 that matchup is just kind of negated that matchup advantage. So I, I think it's going to be tough for the Nationals, but. No one thought they were getting this far. They were six outs away from elimination in the wild card game, and then they come back against the Brewers, and then they beat the Dodgers and, and the Cardinals. So, you know, sometimes when you get on that run, you can really carry that momentum. I do wonder a little bit, though, they had so much momentum, and now they're going to have a period of, of nearly a week off. Do they lose some of that momentum from not playing for so long? Right. So Nationals-Cardinals in the book. The Washington Nationals advanced to play in the World Series of Fall Classic against either the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees. Switching sides and covering that series a little bit. Notable this notable headline this afternoon, CeCe Sabathia's career is officially over. He suffered a, uh, I should say, season-ending shoulder uh, injury in Game 4 of the ALCS. 
He had to leave due to pain that he was having. He said, I gave it everything I had. I threw until I couldn't anymore. He announced his retirement earlier in the season. He wasn't initially part of the Yankees postseason roster, but they added Ben Heller today instead of him after pitching last night. That was a game where the Astros simply pulled away and won 8-3. to Their pitching has been fantastic this series. And guys, do you think that there's any chance that the Yankees can upset Justin Verlander and the Astros tonight? in game five, which starts tonight at 6.08 on FS1. I mean, it's always possible. You know, the, the Yankees you know, are certainly capable of winning three games in a row, but it kind of felt like last night they were just losing the momentum of the defensive errors late, and the Astros just look like the better team right now. They have the better starting pitching, and, and with Verlander and Cole going the next two games, you feel like the Astros have a or maybe Cole would pitch game seven. I don't know, depending on how they shape that out, if they get that far, but you would think that the Astros, even if it's not tonight, would, would probably win it maybe in, in, once they get back to Houston. You know, it, it's just tough. The Yankees don't have the starting pitching to match them, and I think that's been really the big difference in the series so far. And That, that game two walk-off by Carlos Correa really was huge because, you know, that gave the Astros a little bit of momentum. They win game three, and then last night the Yankees just couldn't capitalize on some early opportunities when Zach Greinke was having trouble throwing strikes, and that led to the Astros, you know, getting out of those innings pretty much unscathed, and then the two big three-run homers were, were really the difference. And now it feels like the Astros are, are on the verge of winning the series. Well, and I think Ben just said it perfectly. If you're the Yankees, you basically have to be just a Berliner and Garrett Cole, just to even have a chance, you know, to get that to a game seven. And that just seems like a tall task at hand. You know, thinking about beating one of those is, you know, pretty hard to do. And you think about it, you got to beat twice of them in two days. I also think the tiredness will wear out of the Yankees. You think about. You know, a lot of these teams, you know, if they were, if it were to go to six or seven, you get a day off. Well, with the rain and everything, you've got to play five, six, seven, back to back to back. Right. You know, if you're having to make up these games to the Yankees, you're having to use so much energy and so much momentum. At some point, I feel like that wears off. I, I think the Astros will win this series. As Ben said, it might not be tonight, might not be tomorrow night, but I think they'll, that they'll end up winning this series pretty easily. Boy, yeah, you mentioned the rain. That means four games in four days to have to win the series, especially for a team like the Yankees that relies so much on their bullpen. That's incredibly tough to do and and i think you just feel like the astros have gained momentum but again you never know winning three games in a row isn't that crazy in baseball though it's not been very common in past postseason history i tend to agree with both of you james paxton goes for the yanks tonight 608 the first pitch that time that time is in the central time zone you know, looking ahead a bit, let's assume that the Astros, like you guys both said, do take care of business in the final three games of the series. How do you handicap the Nationals versus Astros series? Bit of a weird matchup. I don't think anybody would have seen that coming in, but what are your initial thoughts if that is indeed the World Series here in 2019? Well, I think it, there are some benefits for the Nationals in the sense that you look at a guy like Juan Soto, who's a key hitter in their lineup, and the Astros not having any left-handed pitching. That could be a, a key thing for them. And the, the Nationals have some left-handed pinch hitters off their bench and Matt Adams and Gerardo Parra. But I think in the end, as I said, there's just not much of a pitching advantage for the Nationals to the point where you could see some low-scoring games. But also there's a lot of pressure on the Washington staff to come through against that really good Astros lineup and really limit runs allowed because I just don't know how many runs the Nationals are going to be able to score in the series. And uh, something that me and Ben talked about a little bit earlier, I mentioned, you know, that the Astros, whenever they do have to go face the Nationals in Washington, they'll not have the DH. But then you think about that lineup, you're like, oh, they lose Jordan Alvarez. But then you look at that outfield, still, they still have Brantley, they have Reddick, and they have Springer, and they still have, you know, Correa, Altuve. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's not there's not one aspect that the Nationals really have over the Astros. You know, you, you think about Wolfen. The Nationals' Wolfen has been much improved with Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle kind of finding his group again. But then you look at the Astros' Wolfen, they've got just about as weapons. Roberto Aguna's been almost unhittable in the playoffs. So it, it's just there's not a whole lot of areas that the Nationals can have that's really going to benefit them to win the series. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about the Astros' lineup. As good as it was, they added Michael Brantley, who's a really good hitter in the offseason. Alvarez, obviously, has had a great rookie year. Julie Gurley has been better than he's ever been, and talked about Bregman arguably having an MVP season, and you know that doesn't even touch Springer and Correa and Altuve. They just have a ton of ton of lineup depth with that team. Certainly interesting to think about that possible matchup, just for the prospect alone of a Max Scherzer versus Justin Verlander pitching matchup. That one would draw a lot of eyes and attention for the MLB in its prime matchup, the World Series, the Fall Classic, Boy, just, just a couple days away. 
Well, and I would say, you know, you talk about Strasburg and Garrett Cole, that's the velocity, exactly. velocity right there. No doubt about it. Some interesting and intriguing pitching matchups. But first, the Astros have to take care of business. That game five gets underway tonight. They battle the Yankees, who are trying to keep their season alive. Certainly will be interesting to keep an eye on over the weekend. A lot of college football on, a lot of NFL football. And speaking of which, we will cover the bases of the National Football League on the opposite side of a break. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the preferred walk-ons here on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers, KCOU 88.1 FM. Zoo men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. From college to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee. And me, Emma Hayes. As we discuss all things baseball on KCOU Sports' first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. We gotta fight them back. We gotta take it to them. We gotta get right in their faces. And what do you say? Are you with me or not? Uh, finished? Uh, great speech and all, Doc. Uh, you had him riveted. But uh, didn't you forget something? What? KT secret stuff. <laughs> Lola Bunny, what did you do, Nice deltoid. Yeah. Hey, stop hogging it, Mike. Come your on, teammates. Mike. Sheesh. Give a guy six rings and he thinks he can have all the secret stuff. Well, anyways, take it from the second greatest basketball player of all time and the Looney Tunes and tune into KCOU 88.1 FM every Tuesday from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. and every Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m. for KT Secret Stuff. You're only after our sports and music talk show where we create brand new playlists by the week and have the hottest of hot sports takes. So take from the Looney Tunes and number two on the all-time NBA players list and tune in to KCOU 88.1 FM every Tuesday from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. and every Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m. for KT's Secret Stuff. Join me, Garrett Jones, for one of these nights, a solo podcast-style sports talk show covering the weirdest and wackiest of sports history. I take a deep dive into the old and noteworthy of Mizzou and all four major professional sports. Stick around for the second hour to unwind with the best of classic rock from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm on Sunday nights recording live from 8 to 10 p.m. on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM in the Blue Box. It's also on Spotify and Apple Music if you ever miss a show. It's one of these nights, the perfect way to end your weekend. Happy Friday, Mid-Missouri. Thanks for ending your week with us, the Preferred Walk-Ons. I'm your host, Garrett Jones. Chase Phillips and Ben Krakow en route to Nashville, Tennessee. Here the drive's going pretty well so far. They should be in by 8 o'clock tonight. Well in time for the broadcast of Missouri versus Vanderbilt. Again, kickoff at 3 o'clock. You can hear it here on KCOU. Speaking of which... Are you happening to be looking for live music at your event? Look no further than KCU 88.1 FM, whether it be an event for your student organization, a local business, or even a private party. Let KCU's trained DJs provide the jams. Our DJs work with you to craft the right playlist for your event. 
at an affordable price. Contact for more information, Nash Walker at business at KCU.FM. Once again, that's business at KCU.FM for KCU's DJ services. Talked a lot of college football, talked MLB postseason, but now, guys, another big week in the NFL. It already got started last week with a, last night, I should say, with a bang. 30-6, to the Kansas City Chiefs over the Denver Broncos on Thursday night football. A dominant performance, a really good game for the Chiefs defense, but perhaps even with the win, they suffered one of the biggest losses that they possibly could have in their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who left the game early due to a knee injury. What do you all know about the status of the Chiefs star quarterback and what do you think? What kind of impact do you think this has in the entire landscape of the AFC playoff picture? Well, I don't know if it changes it really all that much. It looks like he avoided a serious injury, and frankly, it could, you know, being out a few weeks here with the knee injury could let his ankle heal, which clearly would bother him as well. In the short term, it probably affects them. The next two games against the Packers and Vikings are going to be tough, even at home, for them to win with Matt Moore, a quarterback. But they're still the clear-cut favorite in that division, especially with the way the Chargers have struggled. And, you know, I, they weren't going to get home field anyway. I don't think you, it, the Patriots were going to block that up. And so maybe potentially it's impacts their ability to get a first-round bye, which could be costly. But, you know, assuming he's back within a few weeks, whether that's the week before the bye when they play the Chargers in Mexico City or when they are, you know, right after the bye, I think even if it means a couple losses in the short term, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I don't think it changes the Vince as a long-term future in the AFC, but, but right now it does affect it. You know, you think about a lot of teams are thinking, man, if the Chiefs are 5-2 and two right now, they lose these next two games, they're 5-4. and four. A lot of these teams can make up a lot of ground on them. You know, I think, as Ben mentioned, the first round by, you know, it could be a lot harder to grab now, but you look at the AFC North and they're, nobody out of that division I think is really going to, you know, have a better record than the Chiefs. You know, the Texans in the South could possibly be one of those teams that can sneak up there and grab that, that buy, especially having a head-to-head win over the Chiefs. But overall, I, I think the Chiefs will be fine. I still expect them to be in the AFC Championship or in contention to play for it. Now, just in case there's anybody who might be tuning in who's not aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, the last injury update I saw was a dislocated patellar uh, kneecap bone. Is that correct? And it would displace him until the bye week, correct, for the Chiefs? Yeah, I think that's correct. I don't know if they've released all the full details yet, but it was pretty clear, I think, even last night that, that everyone thought he avoided a major, major injury. It seems like the type of injury that you could, you know, you may need surgery for, but you could wait until the off season to have that surgery. So you would think, you know, two, three weeks, maybe even a month, and he probably is able to get back out there, but probably with a break and, and maybe some limited mobility. And obviously his ankle was already injured dealing with that high ankle sprain. So... You know, that could be a, a factor. He's not been ever been a huge runner, but he may really be limited in how much he can move even when he comes back. And on the other side yeah, of that, go ahead, Chase. Yeah, I was just going to reiterate a bit that, you know, the mobility, I think, the rest of the year is going to be very limited for him, which takes away some of the big plays. So that's the thing about Patrick Mahomes. Even if he can't run away and make those spectacular plays, he's still very, very good in the pocket, delivering the ball to his wide receivers. They just need that whole entire offense really to get healthy. Once they're healthy, they're going to be fine. And on the other side of that 30-6 to game last night, Missouri fans might be st- really time to start setting the alarm for Drew Locke time in Denver. He's still on the IR with a finger injury, but Joe Flacco played relatively efficient last night, but the Broncos certainly could be looking to see what they have in the future soon at the quarterback position. Elsewhere, a couple interesting matchups, not Dolphins-Bills, that's the and 5 Dolphins traveling up to Buffalo. But another good kickoff at noon central on CBS. The Raiders and the Packers. Guys, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I remember picking the Packers to win the NFC North, and that was met with some skepticism. Green Bay's off to a 5-1 and one start. Do you attribute this more to the play of Aaron Rodgers, perhaps a light schedule coming into the season, or what's really stood out for Green Bay's hot start? Well, they've gotten a little bit fortunate last week. You know, that game against the Lions, the two hands of the face call against Trey Flowers and the Lions. But I think, yeah, you have to give Rodgers credit. They've had a lot of injuries at receiver. Devontae Adams is out once again this week. And Aaron Rodgers has the ability of making guys a lot better than they are. I compared a little bit to LeBron in the NBA, how it seems like LeBron's always able to elevate his teammates and see better players. Aaron Rodgers does that with his receivers. And so, you know, whether it's Lazard, he stepped up last week, the rookie out of Iowa State or anybody who he's throwing the ball to, he finds a way, and you know, he's the key. When he's gotten hurt, when Rodgers has gotten hurt, you know they've struggled. But when he's out there, they generally find a way to keep themselves in contention and win games, and it's been no different this year. 
one, I think the Packers finally have found their defense. And, you know, you, you talk about all the defensive talent. They spent a lot of money this offseason on their defense with, you know, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos on the back end. You know, they did lose Jake Ryan, which was kind of a big hell. They saw Blake Martinez in the middle. They've got a lot of defensive weapons. Shagger Alexander is probably arguably the best quarterback in the league. You think about all that defensive talent, Rodgers doesn't have to go out there and score 30 games with the win. And I think that's really been the key factor. You think about week one, he scored 10 points. And they won that game pretty easily just because the defense is playing really well. So, you know, I think they'll probably win the fourth. But, you know, I think that Rodgers needs to get everybody healthy. Aaron Jones is also a compliment for Rodgers in that running game as well. Maybe the game of the week kicking off at 325 on Fox. Baltimore traveling all the way to the Pacific Northwest to battle Seattle. Russell Wilson's played like an MVP, 14 touchdowns on the season through the air. Who do you have in this one, and what do you think are the most important factors going into this contest of the Birds? Well, it's kind of funny. Those two teams for years were known for their defense, and now it's really more about the offense between those two teams. And two really good quarterbacks can move, and and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. I think Seattle has an advantage here. I think Seattle's been playing well. They got off to a slow start in Cleveland last week before they – came back and won that game. But Russell Wilson's playing at such a high level right now. I think he's going to have a big day, and, and I like Seattle. I, I just think Baltimore in the shootout type of games, they can score, but it's tougher than to keep up. Yeah, I think Seattle will also win this game. I think Russell Wilson right now, if he gave me one vote for MVP, I'd give it to him easily. I think he's been the best player in the league this year. You can make the argument for Mahomes, of course, and Christian McCaffrey. But I think the Seahawks have really figured out an offense. You know, one of the stories I read this week on one drive, Rod, or uh, Russell Wilson's helmet, the bike where he's constant, or when he was listening to his offensive coordinator, it actually went out. And so he called the whole entire drive, let him 10 plays, 70 yards, low over five or six minutes for a touchdown. I mean, there's just not a lot of players who can do that nowadays. Maybe the game in the week, as we mentioned. Other ones to keep an eye on, Eagles and Cowboys, that one could go a long way in determining the future of the NFC East. Patriots-Jets wrap up the week on Monday Night Football. Speaking of wrapping up, that's about all our time that we have for the Preferred Walk-Ons, another edition. Thank you for joining us on this Friday afternoon. For my broadcast partners, Ben Krakow and Chase Phillips, tune in to them tomorrow in the all-preferred walk-ons broadcast of Missouri football as they battle the Vanderbilt Commodores as part of Sports Saturday here on KCU 88.1 FM. But for now, I've been Garrett Jones, your host this evening from our Student Center studios. Hope you have a great Friday night. We hope to see you back next week when all three of us will be back in studio. Thanks so much.